0: Greetings. This recording does not contain any analysis of the lore of Destiny. Instead, it is a supplemental track that was made for those who have not had the time to read the new information. Be forewarned that any interpretations that I have inferred as a reader does not reflect the meaning originally intended by the writers over at Bungie. If you would like to dive deeper into the entries, I would strongly suggest reading the entries for yourself. That being said, here is The Forsaken Prince. The Length of a Chain Part One Joy on my man, Uldren Sov whispers. You and I are going to take the Black Garden. Oh yeah? Joel Till, the ratchas, famous amongst crows, sniper, scout, and teller of tales, lies full sprawl prone at Aldrin's side. The scrubbed-down length of a supremacy rifle snugged against his shoulder nearly doubles his height. I heard you and I were going to float Saturn in a bathtub. I'm serious, Joel. And you'll be dead serious if you go to Mars, hardy-har-har. Target range, 2,900 meters. Wind in rotation? Wind, 21 kilometers per hour from your three o'clock. You are two degrees off spin north. I'm going, though, I really am. You gotta come. You'll never live it down if you miss this one. I'll never live anything down if I'm dead. Shot ready. Send it, Aldrin says. The supremacy booms and kicks into Jolian's shoulder. Aldrin doesn't even bother to check that it's a bullseye. You've been with me on all the big ones, Joel. I can't do it without you. Besides, he opens his hand to reveal the ejected cartridge snatched from midair, cobra quick. If we don't do it, some guardians will, and the next thing you know, Mara will be inviting them in to do crow work. Joel rolls onto his right flank to regard Aldrin. The Master Crow grins his winningness. Joel until the ratchet squints and slaps the mag release one handed. Aldrin catches it. "'You're a lot like your sister,' Julian sighs. "'Except that when she plays dirty, she doesn't smile so big.' "'I got all the charm in the family!' Aldrin waits patiently for Joel to work the bolt and eject the chambered round. He usually wins this little game, usually, but sometimes Joel surprises him. "'Nobody's ever been inside the garden. Imagine what we'll find!' "'Nameless horrors.' "'They're all nameless when nobody's named them, Joel.' Nobody's ever been. Isn't that enticing? No, because your sister's forbidden it, Aldrin. That, he says cheerfully, is how I know it's worth doing. And because the awoken people will thrill at another tale of his narrow survival. Mara's never really understood how much heroes matter to people. A queen is an indispensable thing, but a hero, now you know what he wants when he's lost, when he's won. The Length of a Chain, Part 2. Their departure is meant to be secret. Nobody will turn out, he assures Joel. We'll slip away at Zenith. By the time anyone catches on, we'll be arrow-breaking into Meridian Bay. You're insufferably cocky, Joel says. And by the time we go, the whole city will know you're up to something. They will not! When they set out for their ship, they find the promenades and galleries a swarm with cheering throngs of Aldrin's fans and followers. He waves and waves, turning and grinning, in a better mood than he will maybe ever be again. And if one dark mote burns within him, it is the fear and certainty that these people love him only because he is closest to their queen. Do they ever ask themselves why he is constantly breaking her rules? Why he always ventures so far from her? He wants his sister's approval. He knows and accepts that. But he wants her approval for something she did not anticipate, did not plan or foresee, and did not account for. He wants her to thank him with surprise. If you hurl yourself away from someone to test the length of your chain, you cannot know the chain's length until it draws you short. Does that make sense? Aldrin thinks so. Aldrin is afraid so. Either he is truly free of his sister, free to choose to stand at her side, to choose of his own free will, or the chain is longer than he has managed to run. At the gate. Part 1. Give Uldren Sov the chance to torment a Guardian, and he will take it faster than you can shout, Rasputin shot the Traveler, an opinion he lobs into Guardian's mind whenever he can. He hates the Traveler's horseflies, the way anyone would hate an infant godling issued with coloring book morality and a whining, know-nothing paperweight. They are self-righteous, cocksure, callously instrumental intruders in a system they don't need to understand. He hates that most. The ability to move through the world without caring about how it works. So he's done everything to Guardians he can think of: shot them up, shot them down, sent them on doomed quests, dunked their ghost in intolerably stinky cellophane, drilled holes to bury their obnoxious patrol beacons inside solid rock, tricked them into disassembling mighty weapons. But every time he gets into a gunfight, he wonders what it must be like to do this without any sheer raving terror. Jolin, he hisses as the goblin downslope lobs another slap grenade his way. Jolin, where are you? Nothing. The grenade detonation pops Ultron's ears and pushes ozone up his sinuses so hard that he sneezes. The goblin fires at the sneeze. Glassy shards of melted sand ricochet off his cover and shatter into chiming airbursts. He is 300 meters upslope. Guardians, armored cabal, and fearless fex may fight at point-blank range. Mere mortals still hang back so far they can barely see their targets. The infernal thing about Vex is they teleport. Aldrin's not sure if he's pinned down by ten goblins or one. A bullet cracks past. At the Gate, Part 2. Radiolorian fluid splashes on the sand. I got it. Julian radios, breathless. But I'm pretty sure I also got made. Confirmation arrives in a fuselage of Cabal mortar shells, smart munitions that home in on the sound of the rifle shot. Usually the Cabal do not waste them against Vex. Some centurion must be eager to use her toys on a target that won't teleport away. Aldrin sucks air in relief when Jolin clicks his transmat switch to signal he's okay. Aldrin gets up panting. He can just see the gate to the garden. Everyone knows where it is. Sure, it's just getting inside that's the trick. The air blurs. A roiling cloud of vacuum flux blocks his view, and then in a blast of discharge, a Vex Minotaur strides into existence. Aldrin curses, throwing a jamming grenade, and runs. There has got to be a better way to do this, he gasps. Any ideas? Only the one you don't like thread the gate with a ship coming in at Mach 20. The gate's not active. Even if we made it through the cabal guns, we need to trick the Vex into opening the door. That means killing a gate lord with just our personal weapons. <gasps> no, it doesn't, Aldrin breathes. I have a princely idea. This is what Aldrin lives for: skittering past death, brushing its whiskers, leaping away from that toothy maw. Break contact. We need stealth now. Then we need to pick a few unfortunate targets. (laughs) Through the gate, they crawl belly down across the Martian desert like worms. Active camouflage ponchos break up their outlines. The roaming Cabal harvesters growl on the horizon. For the last eight hours, Julian has been picking off Cabal infantry with his rifle, fleeing the eruption of automatic counterfire. Uldren has listened on cracked battle nets as mightier weapons are invoked and brought to bear. The war machine is now inflamed, swollen with outrage. Julian touches Uldren's ankle. Fingertrips drum out a code. How far? Fifty meters, Uldren whispers. If the Vex know we're here, they haven't... The air prickles, subsonic groans of power stir in the sand. Something mighty awakens above them. Never mind, Uldren mutters. The Vex have now reacted. He throws off his poncho, rising with revolver and deflection grenade in his fist, screaming challenge. Jutting from the Martian desert before them is the canted, fringed loop that is the Black Garden's gate, huge enough to swallow a fallen skiff. It thrills with infinite energy. Out of that aperture emerges the behemoth silhouette of Vex-Gatelord, metal and mine crashing together, self-assembling, ready to defend the secret place. The Vex are born here, in the sense of baptism, consecrated to the service of some terrible purpose that the machines found within. Hey, big guy! Aldrin shouts, over here! Calmly, carefully, Julian Till the Ratchets begins to fire his rifle straight up into the sky. The reports of the Supremacy's huge cartridges spill out across the dunes. The gate lord towers above them. Aldrin whoops and hipfires a couple rounds into the sand at its feet. Can you dance, sir? He bellows. Have you got the footwork? Inside the vex entity, there are mighty logarithms constructing a model of this merely temporal place, calculating potential threat, weighing the utility of weapons discharge against the good that power might do elsewhere. This computation is the only reason Aldrin's still alive. The bone mic tuned to Cabal Tactical Channels wakes up at Aldrin's throat. They have localized the sound of Jolyon's rifle and are responding. He hollers up at the Vex behemoth and starts to jig. It's gonna rain on Mars! It's monsoon season in Meridian Bay! Did you see the forecast? He grabs Joel by the hand and pulls. Together they sprint towards the Gate Lord in its charge. The Vex machine must know what's coming, but it has to weigh the certainty of Cabal against the tiny possibility of these microbiotic motes slipping into the gate. The Gate Lord raises a weapon to obliterate them. They skid into the gate's threshold, and Aldrin activates the deflection grenade as so hard he nearly breaks his thumb. A perfect sphere of topologically defective space-time blinks into being around him. He holds Joyling close, and together they calm their breath. The barrier is impenetrable, but it will not last long. Until then, there's only so much air to breathe. Outside the full fury of a cabal fleet carrier lands on the Gate Lord. When the barrier fades, the Gatelord is dead, and Aldrin and Julian are no longer on Mars. In the Garden. Aldrin and Julian huddle together, shivering beneath a canopy of white tongues. The rain pours down. Aldrin can't tell where it comes from exactly, some somewhere up in the green mist. But the rain falls and falls, and he and Julian turn their heads up to drink. Here at the bottom of a chasm between two flower fields where the garden's immaculate surface divides into tropical fetter everything grows here julian mutters look at your nails Aldrin studies his hand he has a dreadful image of his fingernails developing into tight down curved loops that curl around back into his fingers completing a hideous circuit to the root it's awful and yet it's wonderful in a transgressive way in a newborn screaming way It speaks to him of new and secret things happening here. They're dirty, he says. But I trust you'll forgive me on that account. Rain's not letting up. Shall we move? Aye. Jolyon hauls himself up with a fistful of slithering vines. They try to coil around his wrist. Tiny teeth shaped like letters saw at his skin. He stares at them, starts to say something, and jerks his arm away. Are you all right? For now, Jolyon mutters. For now. They move down the length of the chasm, green mist swirling overhead, ankle-deep in wet compost of flower petals and rich, black soil. Wide, flat beetles with arching horns wrestle in the earth. Aldrin flips one on its back. The beetle has no interior. Seen from below, it's just a hollow shell. Julian pulls up a fern, and its roots are the branching metallic threads of a circuit board. Tiny, squirming things shaped like wet microchips mill in the exposed soil. I don't like this place, Julian whispers. We should get back to the surface. He means the garden surface, the manicured sectors of red flowers that stretch away toward a distant mesa. But it's far too vexed up there, altered things. They've been in here, gardening, moving earth, making walls, building their ancient constructs of stone and light, trying to tame this place. It's life, he breathed. You're right, Joel, everything grows here. He cannot let this place be killed. He cannot let it be looted and overthrown like everything else that doesn't fit into the narrow, binary dogmas of the Traveler's undead warriors. Excitement seizes him and he runs ahead, sloshing through the muck, laughing aloud. Aldrin! Julian shouts after him. What are you looking for? I don't know! He cries back. That's what's so incredible! I can't know! On the Hunt They track the last cabal soldier from the place of carnage onward through the flower fields following the dribble of black oil that escapes the wounded legionary's pressure tourniquet aldrin moves with a cold vicious anger war here in the garden petty detestable war brought into this place by some blundering cabal expedition they deserve what they got the garden must be left to tend itself mustn't it it must be allowed to evolve its secret fruits the terrain dips the red flowers fade away to low woven grasses the wind whispers, soft words, sentence with just the beginnings of syntax, the cadence almost musical. Brain stain, Julian whispers, fearing infection by a contagious idea. We should. But his voice trails off as Aldrin pushes ahead, down into a low veil, slipping easily through tangled undergrowth. Vex. There are vex here, dozens of goblins and minotaurs, still as statues and covered in moss, in a ring like some robotic hinge. They are singing in faint, wraith-like notes of inhuman clarity. Aldrin knows what this place must be. The Cabal legionary huddles behind a stone. Aldrin creeps forward. By the time the wounded, bellowing thing knows he's there, he has a knife pressed to its helmet, right above the cleft of its lips and the soft tissues below. Don't move, he says in Olarant. Don't speak. This knife is Adam Sharp. I can tell, the legionary grunts in its native tongue. It's right up in me eyes, practically shaving me bristles. Do you know where you are? Just about the worst place everyone's ever gone. You say that because you can't smell the air, Aldrin says. It's sweet, like pollen and thunder. Why did you come here? Not by any chance of our own, sir. The milk robots abducted us. The whispers have taken on a soft hint of Ularant grammar, confirming Aldrin's suspicion. This is a place where abstract patterns war for survival, fighting to propagate themselves by preying on each other. The Vex are singing to see how the garden changes their song, and even this conversation has fertilized the air. Why are they here? What do they want? They come here to pray, sir. They're making vessels out of themselves. They're the worst things ever to be, sir. They ate existence. How do you know this? Oh, from the seeds, sir, the legionary says. Do you see em? And without hesitation or second thought, he punches the emergency medic release on his helmet. The pressure seal breaks, and a ring of black gel sprays out, hissing. The legionary slumps over. His helmet tumbles into his broad lap. Beneath the layer of gel, the whole surface of his skull has the pitted texture of a strawberry. Thousands of tiny seeds glisten in the cabal's flesh. Aldrin brushes the skin in fascination. Aldrin, Jolin radios. I really don't like the expression on your face. This place has secrets, the prince murmurs back. The bone Mike feels cold and inorganic, poorly made it to his flesh compared to the warm, close packeted pits of the legionary's deformed skull. So many secrets. They grew in him, Jolyan. The garden grew its secrets in him. Who gives a rat? Jolyan snaps. Your Highness, we've got to get out of here before whatever happened to them happens to us, too. He's afraid of secrets, Aldrin realizes. The unknown terrifies him, which is very sensible, very rational. The attitude of a good scout, a good soldier, a survivor. But Aldrin can't stop imagining how astonished Mara would be at this place. What if he could bring her here? What if they could explore this place together? After the Heart, Part 1 Mara, I picked you flowers. The Queen's retinue parts before Aldrin. Astonished eyes flicker between his face, his wounds, and the potted flowers cupped in his hands. Some of them see a madman and reach for weapons before they remember that this is Aldrin Sov, Prince of the Awoken, beneficiary of the Queen's limitless indulgence. Asphodelia is its name. He kneels and offers it to his sister. It grew only in the black garden until today. We will plant it here in our dominion, where I know it will take root and flourish. It will remind the people of our twin heritage. For a terrible moment, Mara is unreadable. Then she smiles and beckons. Our brother has attained the black garden. and returned to us. Come forward. She peels a single petal from the flower and lays it across her fingertip. Holds it up to the light. Magnificent. Ilyan, see to it. She passes it off. Aldrin swallows protests. He'd hoped she might plan it herself. Afterward, in private, she is silent and still. He tells her everything he remembers. Did you see the heart? She asks, softly. After the heart, part two. The heart. Aldrin considers his sister's question. After a while, his memories become confused. He was running through a thorny grove, and the branches and pickles were tearing at his cheeks. Huge, wet fruits slapped against his shoulders and detonated in overripe pulp, fruits shaped like heavy, swollen ghosts. He was huddled with Julian beneath a thick cobweb, holding his breath as they listened to voices argue just outside. His heartbeat... Was it his heartbeat, or another's? He was in an apartment block, he remembers that. He was sitting in the laundry room, a place with... A black and white checkered tile floor watching his crows tumble over and over in the dryer, black feathers flurrying, beaks clattering. A big old female cabal sat in the tub to his left, scrubbing her back with a wire brush. A vexed goblin with the face of Alice Lee in its stomach stood behind the counter selling detergent. Aldrin, she said, you've got a hole in you. The cabal grunted in agreement. He looked down at himself, and there was a hole in his hand black and perfectly round. His dryer ran out of time, but his crows were still wet. Aldrin, Mara shaking him. She does not ordinarily touch anyone. Did you see the heart? It seems the most natural thing in the world that a garden should have a heart. The Vex infests the place, he says. It gives them something they crave. It grows them toward what they want to be. You didn't answer the question. Mara says coolly. It's a perfectly sensible observation. It's the strangest thing Aldrin has ever heard her say. Whatever the heart of that place is, he says pacing. It's a seed, I think. A seed left behind to grow. Like uh, a note of glimmer. Or the idea strikes him as a thunderbolt. Or a tripwire. Bait to attract those who seek out and destroy what they don't understand. Bait for guardians. Bait to mark some milestone in the Traveler's recovery. I told you never to go there, Mara says. Her eyes burn. She draws her cloak tight. Are you not devoted to me? Sister, he says. Of course I am. Yet you defy me. Yes, Aldrin thinks. uh, Yes, aren't those the same thing? How could you care at all for something that never surprises you? He feels suddenly, utterly alone. Julian. When he sees Julian in the arsenal, the realization of his own sheer, unbelievable, inconsiderate, disgraceful boorishness makes Aldring gasp aloud in horror. Hey, he calls, roughly. He's not sure how to apologize. He hasn't spoken to Julian since they returned from the garden. He didn't commend Julian to the queen or throw him a fet for his bravery or even ask if he was sleeping alright after... after everything. He forgot about him. Hey... Julian says, not looking up. "'You weren't at the range yesterday.' "'Oh, you don't need a spotter,' Aldrin says, trying to tease him. But it comes off flat and dismissive. "'I've been, uh... dreaming. Recording his dreams. Pouring feverishly through the origin library, searching for confirmation of what his heart wants so desperately to be true. The future of the Awoken could lie in that garden. There is a wellspring of light on Earth, a blinding beacon that will only grow brighter.' The Awoken will not survive, not as they are. Mara's vision and the truth of their origins will be lost, deluded by the anodyne philosophy of those city-born ideologues. The Guardians will kill everything they find. What if the Garden is the Traveler's antithesis? What if the Awoken can find, in that Garden, a new place of balance, an equal potential between the darkness and the light? As the light brightens, the shadows deepen. Julian is saying something. Sorry. Aldrin grunts, fussing with his revolver. What was that? I said we should talk about what happened in there. Yes! He realizes now how afraid he was that Jolian wouldn't see the significance of the place. Revulsion and fear, yes, natural responses, but he must see past them. Yes, we've got to record all our observations before they fade. I should have asked you sooner. Aldrin, I don't want anyone to know what we saw. Oh, This kindles a little bonfire of warmth in his gut. Of course, no one else has to know. Our shared secrets, hmm? I wish I didn't remember what I saw. Julian says, fumbling his rifle's firing pin. It hits the floor like a dull chime and rolls underneath his bench. He doesn't go after it. And I don't keep secrets. Aldrin thinks about this for a moment. The profound truth of it hits him like a cold wind. You don't, do you? Julian knows exactly where he was born, to what lineage. His capabilities as a marksman are public record. As one of Aldrin's crows, he flies dangerous surveillance missions, but he is not a covert operative. Aldrin knows everything about him. You gonna be on the range tomorrow? Julian asks too casually. Thought we might shoot a few magazines? Not tomorrow, Aldrin says. I have work to do. He is already trying to imagine how Mara would react if he tries to turn the oracle engine on the garden. The things he might learn? The things she will surely want to know. After the Fall She is gone. He lives now in a state of perpetual dread. He hates the future because he fears it. He fears its emptiness, and he cannot imagine lonely eternity without her. As he staggers down the edge of a Martian chasm, he can feel the drop calling to him, begging him to join her, to end it all. The heat of the place soaks him in sweat. The dead chassis of one of his old crow drones slung over his back feels like it's compressing his ribs, pushing his lungs up against his sternum, expelling his breath. He needs the drone to fix his ship, again. He must get off Mars, he must start looking for her the weight of the crow drone slams him down on hands and knees his vision swims stars and shining harbingers soaring through the ring plane and a wall of terrible light and he sees the moment the dreadnought took everything from him the moment his sister finally absolutely utterly ran out of secret plans that instant when all sounds ceased and he screamed in denial and yet in spite of his soul's plea to die with her reached for the deflection shield that saved his life he crawls until he can rest in the shadow of a dead Vex block. He crashed in the Candor Isles, not so far from the gate to the garden, the place where he saw another path for the Awoken. Why had Mara never accepted his invitation? He has been hearing her, thirst, hallucination, surely, but there is that hum, that whisper, that thrill of starlight in his skull. A flock of his crow drones found his crash site and repaired his fighter, He made it halfway to orbital velocity before a cabal gun clawed him out of the sky and sent him crashing down into Hell's Basin. Now, his crows are dead, and the fighter is probably beyond repair, and his sister is gone. His sister is gone. And he followed her, and all his people followed her, because he and they were sure that she had a plan. She always had a plan. Something better than dying by the thousands for a city that does not care. You should go home. He should go home, if he can find a way, but will he have the strength? He cannot be the champion they loved. He cannot restore their faith in the purpose of the Awoken or in his sister's design. He no longer believes. This world is a carcass now, the scars of the Guardian's passage, Cabal's fortresses reeking of decay littered with flesh and bone and broken armor, the shattered chassis of Vex littering the sands, a place of death, death and war, a war that tilts on the fulcrum of the Traveler, brought upon it by the puppets of that traveler the fulcrum of war there's something in his eye he blinks and blinks trying to rub it away and as he does he struggles to hear her to sense that prickle of starlight under his skin she will tell him he is on the right path she will tell him she's still alive he feels nothing Kings when at last they drag him before the kell. He has already been transformed by weeks of abuse, weeks of beating, and forced runs, and animal pin conditions, into a happy man. The mighty Kell of Kings tells him clearly, but not concisely, what it thinks of him. Prince Uldren of a ruined house, lesser of two siblings, bested by Skullus, blinded by Varric's less than dreg, squanderer of fleets, last of the awoken nobility, last of his kind. When Uldren looks up at him, he does not even need to speak the truth. The Kell of Kings has named Aldrin, and in doing so, it has named itself the broken ruler of a broken house, the last Kell. "'You can do what I cannot,' the Kell tells Aldrin, "'You broken, beaten thing! You have no pride, so you will lose nothing when you give the word that must be given. "'It is twilight for the fallen, and we must lay our banners down,' and to the groaned and growled protest of its court.' The Kell of Kings kneels to Aldrin. I bow to thee, it says, for in thy downfall and disgrace thou bearest the weakness we cannot. Thou shalt tell the Eliksni to tear off their banners. Thou shalt tell them that we must all surrender to each other. We must give up our rivalries, or we will not survive. Wilt thou do this for that one dying people prince of another? He will do it. He will gain soldiers and ships and resources to begin the search. He found them, he himself, by risking everything and surviving, as he always does. He feels her in his heart. She is still out there. She needs him more than ever. In the pit of his suffering, her voice came clearly to him, like the way she once appeared to him while she was being beaten to a pulp in a zero-g brawl. She is out there waiting for him, and everything will be all right. He will be there for her, it will be all right. <laughs> Fanatic, Part 1 She's been silent too long. The whole solar system groans with the bruises of war. Aldrin lives in constant suffering, a numb, scowling pain that drives him to ether and worse distractions. He has never felt the light this strong. He has never known pain so deep. How many centuries with his sister and how quickly he's disintegrated without her. Why won't she speak to him? The reef burns around him. Shattered asteroids and cracked habitats spill bright flakes of debris. There is nothing quite so stark and brilliant as sunlit wreckage in a vacuum. The reef is huge, huge, but dense, too. Its structures and people gathered in tight clusters against the vastness of space. Oryx and the Red Legion ripped great holes in the reef. Oh, if only Aldrin had told Petra that Trog's Broken Legion was a Trojan horse but Aldrin has nothing to give to a regent who surrenders her people to the Traveler. She has always wanted Mara's approval, little Petra, always wanted to integrate herself, but she's never understood what Mara respects. She's never been willing to take the hard road to Mara's trust. That's why Mara doesn't speak to Petra. But Mara has not been speaking to Aldrin either. He kicks off the wrecked hull of the Corvette, He and the kings have been raiding the asteroid belt, knocking out shipping heading to Earth, trying to further destabilize the Reef. Aldrin has killed his own subjects, and at first that left him wretched with guilt, curled up in the hard cell where he sleeps. But didn't Mara lead thousands of her subjects to their deaths for a still enigmatic gooderator good? How is this any different? She has always intended her people for the altar. The awoken are pawns in her design. It's up to Aldrin to set that design back on track. Mara he shouts up into the starlight. He has come too far to beg now. He's done too much. He demands her answer. I'm not angry. I forgive you for for sacrificing yourself to save them. But you must answer me now. Am I on the right path? And I'm am I nearer to finding you? He has the House of Kings as allies. His raids on the reef have forced Petra to pull back, consolidate, focus on protecting her citizens instead of collaborating with the Guardians. But is he any closer to Mara? Has he... Can he trust himself to do this? He always wanted to surprise Mara to make her recalculate her plans, but it would help him so much to know that she foresaw a little of this, to be certain he's headed in the right way. Mara! He cries, blinking against the persistent soreness in his right eye. Sister! Have you forsaken me? Something answers him. <laughs> Fanatic, Part 2 Just a whisper. Just a brush of reassurance. Just a quaver. Aldrin, my rescuer. He follows the voice. The violence of his thruster burns bruises his body. Down from the tumbling corvette to the harnessed asteroid below were shattered servitors in the wreckage of Shanks mark the site of a losing battle guardians ambushing a fallen party his suits chemioceptors detect a trace of ether he follows it in and there it is a fallen archon crumpled in the dust ether hisses through entry and exit wounds cauterized by brutal solar flames the mark of the golden gun aldrin hisses in disgust as he traces guardians footprints in the dust they must have sprinted off together in a rush no doubt to farm some other site where skiffs were coming down with mining parties. He triages the Archon's wounds, mortal. The victim is shaking now, trembling under Aldrin's hands. He wants so badly to do something, anything to ease the poor soldier's passing, to have the power some say his sister had to save just by proximity. Does he wish it? Does he wish to save this poor thing? He does, he does! His eyes burn with sympathetic tears as he works to bind the Archon's wounds. His hands are quick and gentle, and he weeps with the strength of his hatred for the Guardians that did this. As tears stain the Archon's wound, the ether roiling through Uldren's fingers slowly grows heavier, darker, more noxious. He does not notice. Finally, he leans back to smear his knuckles across his eyes. Sore. They're always so sore. Under the unmarked helmet, four dead eyes... Open in wonder. The Archon croaks a word, a broken leftover of a dying hallucination, calling out to whoever he wanted to see welcoming him into the afterlife. Dad? The Severance He has come to the realization that it no longer matters if he doesn't know what to do, or if he's doing the right thing. What matters is that he wants... If he wants to find Mara and Saber, if he wants to do the right thing fiercely enough, if his intentions are good and powerful, he will find the way. He just has to believe in himself. No more paralyzing analysis. No more painful regrets. He has to go forward without doubt. The Awoken are a beautiful creation. He must keep them safe. Secrets are safe. Sister, he asked the wall of his quarters. Lately, in between bouts of euphoria, he's been sleeping too long. Sometimes it takes him an hour to get to his feet, and another hour to make himself don his armor. Wasn't living easy once? Couldn't he do things just by wanting to do them? The spark has gone out of him, the spark of the possibility of Mara's trust. He needs it back. "'Come home,' the wall tells him. "'It's time to come home and take your crown.' He leaps to his feet. "'Yes!' He wants something again, wants more than to lie here numbly. He wants to show his face to his awoken people. He wants the fanfare played at his welcome. He wants to make a speech accepting the kingship. He wants to terrify and stir his people with the ferocity of his need to save Mara. The awoken have survived so much. He will tell them that they do not need to survive any more. That the end is coming. The end of the long plan. He goes to the his bridge. What news from the reef? He barks. A shank cast the sound to his ears. Petra's voice. Petra, who dares to try to replace what does not need replacing. Cade, hey, the targets are in the crater now. My fire teams are in the in position. Remember, you've got, call them in. Guardians. Petra and the Guardians working together? Did Mara ever want this? Aldrin thinks not. Is it possible that he's too late, that the Awoken are... No longer woken, Lulled by the absence of his sister into the traveller's trance? Set a course for the Vestian outpost, he snaps, rubbing at his eyes. Prepare skiffs for a camouflage insertion. We will put an end to pet What are you doing? A captain of the Kings growls in his ears. The House of Kings is very satisfied with the state of the awoken demons, and if we interfere, we will certainly attract guardians insubordination she would have never have tolerated this ah aldrin says careful to keep his voice light yes of course the itch in his eyes resumes and he discovers that he has a new desire a new thing he fiercely wants Fickrel. the archine he saved is named Fickrel, and he worships aldrin like a father and a god aldrin understands now what brought them together they each see a future for their broken people, a future that cannot be obtained by looking back. Fickrel tells Aldrin how the Fallen have been crippled by their dependence on machines, how they have clung to tradition instead of hurling themselves into the abyss, seeking rebirth through extinction into a new species. I feel the same, Aldrin tells Fickrel, whittling a tiny model galot from an ingot of steel. We say we exist on the thin line between dark and light, Fickrel, but my people... Have always been easily led astray. What future do you see for Woken? Fikrel asks him. What future? After he finds and saves Mara, he, he realizes that he doesn't care. He has spent so many centuries stalking the perimeter of Woken society, fighting off challengers, spying, sneaking, doing Mara's dirty work. Nothing has value except in its relation to Mara's plots. Not even himself. They can die for all I care, he says, with a viciousness he'd never expected of himself. Didn't he want to save his people? No, no. Mara was willing to destroy them for her purposes. The Awoken have no value at all except in service of her design. If some part of them survives, it will be the worthy part. Does he wish for an Awoken extinction? Is that what he truly wishes? We have work to do, he tells Fickrell. The House of Kings has become uh, inconvenient to my plans. I wish to, he wags his knife, divest. Fickerel looks up sharply from his own knives. Dark ether seethes like mist around his face. It is time. We show them the future now. Docking. Honorless at the end. Gas, the former Kell of Kings. Faithless and false. Your sister's will kept us from the great machine, Aldrin Sov. She challenged the wolves by right of noble lineage, but you... You skulk in shadows and filth. You hide behind your bruises like a dreg. Money, you should mention that, Aldrin sneers. He knows his sneering, but this worthless thing deserves it. What do the Kell of Kings ever want? To go backward. More servitors, more machines, more of the past. Aldrin sees now that extinction... Is only the beginning. That the bones of what you become can act more powerfully than the flesh of what you leave behind. Fickrel. Shattered servitors and dead fallen loom in ether frosted mounds behind Fickrel. He comes forward silently, hulking, horrific, his headdress gritting out the firelight into blocks of shadow and smokes. He carries two shock daggers. We are the last of our kind. Aldrin tells the Kell, "'My sister is gone. "'So is the idea of your great machine.' "'The difference between us?' "'He leans in to hiss. "'My sister's coming back.' "'In four swift cuts, "'the archon of the scorned barons "'docks the Kell of Kings. "'Aldrin tears the House of Kings' sigil "'hanging from the new dreg's belt "'and holds it high for all to see. "'The Kings are dead. "'Long live the King!' Come Fickrel's, reverent growl. Petra. After that, Aldrin and Fickrel part ways for a time. Fickrel goes to his bloody work, reshaping fallen society the way a hammer reshapes a spider, and drawing certain useful elements to him. Aldrin resumes his lonely search for Mara. He remembers a time long ago, scouting with the crows, scouting with a young corsair who wanted nothing more than to be defined by her wrath. Perhaps Petra can be saved too. He finds her in Thieves' Landing. What's she doing here? Mara would have never stooped to this trading information with a criminal in the lowest places of. So few of us remain. He tells her, and in that moment, seeing the shame in her, he knows she is too far gone. She cannot be saved. That night, he weeps for Petra. Mara comes to him in the darkness. She has heard his sorrow. He looks up in wonder. His sister sending her will and wisdom to watch over him. He knows then that it will be all right. Three, part one. Admit it! Admit it that you trapped my sister in the dreaming city! I did not, Ilyan says. She is not trapped, Aldrin. She is dead. Aldrin knows the truth now, and he wants things to be right. He wants it so fiercely that he knows nothing he does in pursuit of this want can be wrong. Witch lies, he spits, venomous. She is alive. Ilyan measures him in silence for a while. Then, we knew you would come, she tells him with quiet, calm defiance. You're lost, Aldrin. You knew I'd come, but you never searched for me? My sister would take your eyes for that. Your sister needs nothing from us now, Aldrin. Not even you. The rage is almost enough to make him kill her. But he knows Mara would not approve. She is with him now. She is substantial, if not corporeal. She dances at the edge of his sight. You're so close, she whispers. Free me from this place, Aldrin You've gone mad, Ilian says with repulsive empathy. I almost did too when I knew she'd gone. Why do you travel with that... Thing... What have you come to do? I've come to finish it. Aldrin tells her he even tries to smile because he's being honest. He's telling the truth. I've realized I was a fool to try to surprise her. We all exist through her design. Ilian. We all act only by her consent. I'm going to save her because she needs me to save her. When she needs me to die, I will die. And when she has completed her great design for the Awoken, the Awoken will die too. It is the reward we so richly deserve, for we owe everything to Mara. It would be wrong for us to outlive our purpose. Trust me, life without her is worse than... Worse than... He chokes on it. He can't describe it. At the edge of sight, Mara watches him with all the heartbroken concern and tender care. He has always wanted from her. That evening, he surrenders himself to the reef. Free, Part 2 They take him with a full strike team and one of the snipers joining Aldrin and his jailers at the extraction point looks him full in the eyes like he's asking a question. A tall man with a long rifle. Narrow, intelligent eyes. Handsome. Is he... Did Aldrin want something from him once? Something important? Aldrin absently rubs his eyes as he stares at him. He frowns, but he can't figure it out. They take him to a discreet landing dock on one of the lower levels of the Prison of Elders. When his containment unit hisses open, the glow and mist silhouette an Exo with glowing blue eyes and a woman with her weapon drawn, Petra herself. She stands there in silence. He knows she wants to kill him. He knows she wishes him to say, You've done well. She speaks to you. Her words are curt and direct. What does she say? Aldrin closes his eyes and lets Mara's voice wash through him. He is here in the heart of Petra's strength, in the prison she has so carefully tended as everything else falls apart. He is weak and he is bound. These are the strengths his sister never possessed, the endurance of humiliation, the survival of defeat. She says, he lifts his head to meet her gaze and watches her flinch, She holds him in her weapon's sights as she withdraws step by careful step. The Exo steps forward to hood him with a black bag. She says, Free me.